Turn with me uh, in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're going to be reading, I think, verses like 32 through 37. Acts chapter 4. I, uh, I planned the schedule many moons ago so that this week we would actually be talking about Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, but then when I realized on the schedule we were supposed to be outdoors and our neighbors could potentially be with us, I scrapped that idea. Uh, but then we scrapped the outdoor service. So basically the whole schedule is, is uh, it's fouled up at this point. But don't worry. Do not fear. Because next week, Mark Woodward is going to fix everything. <laughs> everything I foul up, Pastor Mark is going to... He'll solve all your problems. Yeah. Acts chapter 4. Beginning, I want to... And, and, and if for those like seven of you that paid attention last week, um, we are going to be... Uh, this section is re-reading a little bit from uh, what we read last week. It would help if I was in Acts and not John. It would also help if I got my glasses fixed. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 32. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, This is mine. Apparently Tanner wasn't a member of this congregation. (laughs) None of them would say, this is my car's car, about any of their possessions. But they held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And catch this, an abundance of grace was at work among them all, even on their social media posts. There was no needy person among them. Oat milk lattes for everyone. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them and bring their proceeds from the sales and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. And then it was distributed to anyone who had need. Side note, let me hit a pause button there. I, uh, I, I had the, um, a gift of being able to stay in Chelan uh, this week at uh, Sarah's brother's place and, and Ken and Sylvia's son's place. And so, uh, Ken Jr., if you're uh, paying attention to the live stream today, I just want you to reread that last verse about selling property and then placing the property in the care of the church. Um, You know, pray about it. (laughs) Verse 36. Yeah, it it might be a Sean. Yeah, we'll keep going. Verse 36. Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, that is one who encourages, was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field and he sold it. And he brought the money and placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. This is the word of God for the people of God, from the people of God. Thanks be to God. I, uh, I am a big fan of uh, television shows, as I know many of you are. Uh, 
how many of you have binge watched a good show during COVID? Has anybody gotten through one? Uh, my kids have uh, messed me up because I, it used to be like, right, you get, you, you get to the evening and, and if the show was good, you'd get like one episode a night, but sometimes it would be two or three or seven. Sometimes you'd get through a whole season like a couple of days and you'd think to yourself, boy, that wasn't productive. Um, but for whatever reason, like my kids have ruined that. I have been on the same episode of a television show for eight days. I go like eight minutes at a time, and it's awful. But I love a good TV show. I have my top 10 list here. This, this top 10 list is slightly different than the one we shared a couple Wednesdays ago uh, at Wednesday Night Why. Um, I'm forgetting one, but I'll insert one. And actually, I'll insert two choices, and you can guess which you think I would put on this list. So my favorite show of all time, and this is, this is terrible. And no, The Chosen is not on this list. What does that say about me? The Jesus Show is not on... It's a good show. Actually, that is the one show I've watched during COVID. You should watch The Chosen, but it's not on this list. Number one, The Walking Dead. Yep. Not sure if you can follow Jesus without liking The Walking Dead. So uh, if you need a good show to binge watch, Netflix has it. Uh, Number two, and these are totally shows pastors should watch. I know. Don't judge. (laughs) Heathens. Uh, Breaking Bad. If you haven't watched Breaking Bad, oh can't help you. I can't help you. Uh, number three, The Americans. Has anyone seen The Americans? Oh, I watched that, Mark. I watched that uh, on our, oh, you weren't there when we were supposed to go to Germany together. So I binge watched it because I was depressed, but it was a good show. So, you know, may never have watched it without that. So uh, then number four, Lost. Do we have any Lost fans? Oh, I want to go. I want to rewatch it, but I can't get the Chesselsons to come over and watch it. Come on. Number five, Better Call Saul. If you've watched Breaking Bad, and if you like Breaking Bad, you must watch Better Call Saul. Number six, one of my all-time favorites, Friday Night Lights. Any takers? No, that's so disappointing. Um, number seven, the newest one to the list. This is us. Goodness gracious, good golly. It is so good. Um, Sarah Emerson, you, you binged it. So, Mom, she skipped. I mean, you got to get with the program. Number seven, 24, Jack Bauer. Not the dog. We don't like the dog. We do like the character. Jack Bauer, 24. Number nine, Downton Abbey. Still need to watch the movie. Was it good? And number 10, I'm forgetting. So I'm going to insert two shows, and you can decide which of them it is. This wasn't, neither of these were on the list originally, but I can't think of the 10th one. Um, it is either Survivor or The Bachelor. <laughs> Don't judge. My grandma, because yeah, but no, I did when I was a youth pastor in Idaho and Kristen, we were long distance. I would have a couple of my uh, male friends over and we would make dinner and watch The Bachelor together. And I found out after the fact when I moved, they continued to watch The Bachelor. That's called discipleship. <laughs> so, um, so. It's interesting when you watch a television show, there's this, and I don't know if this is a new phenomenon or not, but to me it feels like it, but I'm just probably um, naive naive and young. Um, Of course you have the season premiere, 
you have this new thing like the mid-season finale, the mid-season premiere, which is just a marketing thing, which is great. And then you have the season finale. Those are the epic episodes where the big stuff happens. But then you have those filler episodes, right? And inevitably, I know This Is Us does it, The Walking Dead does it, Lost did a ton of it. Uh, some of those filler episodes uh, maneuver out of the main storyline and become like character-driven episodes. So it helps move the storyline of the show along, but it does so by developing characters and, and, and hopefully, if they're done well, getting you to connect to the characters. I typically don't like those, shows, those episodes. I much rather like the episodes where the whole cast is apart and it's the big storyline movers. And, and I put up with the character-driven episodes. Uh, just let me pull the, the people here. Do you like the character-driven episodes? Pastor Mark is a yes. Chris, I see a yes. I can't see. I don't have glasses. So you're going to have to nod more. Yeah. Um, I must say, This Is Us is changing that. This Is Us, in their character-driven episodes, does it so good. I think last season there was one with Randall, and I was just like bawling my eyes out. Uh, I don't know if I cry more during This Is Us or The Bachelor. I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, but the character-driven episodes, they move the story along. So I, I'm, I'm quickly becoming um, a, a believer in them. This morning, in our sermon today, I want to do a character-driven sermon. I want to do a character-driven sermon uh, about a character we don't always talk about because the character is usually attached at the hip to Saul Paul, and Saul Paul usually gets most of the credit and we just pass along this other dude. Um, but this character is, uh, what was his name? I know it's uh, Barnabas, but what is, it says in the text his real name, Joseph. Joseph, whom the church names Barnabas. I can't help but thinking about this story without thinking about Ken Steve. For those of you who don't know the story of Ken Steve, Ken Steve, what year did you come to the church? 2001, and your first experience with our church was actually when Laura, Pastor Laura, marvelous Minister Laura, had brought her youth group to, from Kalispell, Montana, to here, and so you had, like, you were just hanging out, which that totally, you know, 20 years later follows all the safety manuals that we, <laughs> um, so Ken Steve's real name is Kenneth. The problem is, is when he started coming to our church, we had too many Kens. We had Ken Jr., we had Ken Sr., we had Kenny Kenny. Did we have any other Kens? Kenny G. Kenny G, Pastor Mark says. We thought that was too many Kens. And so, uh, oh, milk latte. And so one of, the, um, one of the folks at the church said, we have too many Kens, I can't call you Ken. You look like a Steve, I'm going to call you Steve. And so in this initial getting to know Ken Steve, what, what evolved was about half of the group, and, and this certainly coincides with Laura's youth group, uh, half of the group started calling him Ken, half of the group started calling him Steve, and they somehow realized about halfway through the mission trip that they were talking about the same person. And so they got him together, I said, so what is your name? And somehow from there it evolved that they just merged the two names together, and forever since it has been Ken Steve, I love it uh, when the church changes names. It's Barnabas. It's Ken Steve. If you would like your name changed, just uh, comment in the comment section and we will gladly uh, throw out a couple ideas for you. 
this week. So, so we're introduced uh, to Barnabas in this, this opening scene. It's the second time Luke has uh, pivoted around to remind us that this new community centered around this reality of the kingdom of God that they are called to give their lives to um, is, a, is a community that has everything in common. They share their Lightning McQueen cars and their Toe Mater cars and their Buzz Lightyear dolls. They, they share everything. It's all in common. But it's also the second time in this early formation of this community within the book of Acts where we find that within this community there is nobody, say that again, nobody who has any need. No need of uh, vacation homes in uh, Chelan. No need of anything. And then we are introduced to this Barnabas character. Because we are told he sells a field and he brings it for the sake of this emerging community to use for the sake of the continual witness to this new reality called the kingdom of God that is increasingly breaking into this reality. What we see, and, and by the way, this, this naming of him as Barnabas is, is, a, is both a new name, but is also uh, Luke's way of saying Yes, this Barnabas, he is a great encouragement to the church. But what we see in Barnabas is one who is deeply committed. He is, in many ways, all in. He has placed all his cards on the table. I know us Nazarenes aren't supposed to think about that, but, but Barnabas has laid it all out there. He has been a part of the answer to how do we make sure we are a community where no one has any needs. We, we don't then see Barnabas for a few chapters. The next moment we see him is you've had this uh, epic conversion moment with Saul Paul. <laughs> I'm just going to keep calling him that if that's okay with you. You have this, this one, Saul, who is deeply committed to his faith. He is deeply committed to wanting to conserve this faith. He has grown up with it. It is his identity. It's his heritage. It's his community's identity and heritage, and he wants very little or nothing to do with this emergent community that is somehow attached to the Jewish faith but seems to be breaking off in some ways that make him uncomfortable. Side note, I, I don't know if, you know, this is probably too nerdy, but why can't we get just a little bit nerdy? Um, some church history speculates that actually Barnabas and Saul Paul studied under the same uh, master teacher dude, Gamiel. I don't know if you've ever heard this, uh, Pastor Dad. That uh, They studied together, and uh, that Barnabas was one of the 70 that Jesus commissioned in Luke, and so that initially Barnabas had tried to get Paul to come join the party, and Paul just wanted nothing to do with it. You can take that or leave it. I, you know, it's not that's extra biblical, but I think kind of interesting. But you have this moment where Paul or Saul, Paul, is on his way to uh, continue the extermination of this early Jesus community, and he has this uh, mystical experience with the resurrected Jesus, where he sees, and once you see, you can't unsee. Play on words there. He sees, but he actually can't see. He's blinded. You like that? I got a room full of pastors. I'm trying to get, like, if you all had your iPads out, I would expect a heart. Thank you. Uh, an amen. That's so 20 years ago. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Paul sees, and now he can't unsee. Paul is now coming alive to this new reality of the resurrected Jesus and the reality that he now is going to give himself to this new 
reality. But there's a problem. If you've committed yourself to the extermination of this new reality, and now you suddenly want to join the team, you would imagine that the folks who are giving themselves to this new reality might be a bit skeptical. And not just skeptical, but frankly, a little bit afraid. And so there's some hesitation. And where do we see Barnabas next? We see Barnabas coming alongside Saul Paul, bringing him before the apostles, creating a middle ground, creating a space for reconciliation. Think about the risk Barnabas is willing to take. And, and by the way, tie that risk to the selling of the field. He is clearly all in. He's clearly passionate about this emerging community. And yet there's something about this moment. He's already deeply invested. And yet there's something about this moment where he is willing to put all of that at risk because he is convinced that spirit is moving in this direction. But not only is he willing to risk, he's willing to some level risk his own um, human emotion because to risk here also means at some level he must forgive one who has participated in killing folks he would have come to love and share life with, namely Stephen among others. So we see Barnabas, somebody who's willing to sell a field to invest, but somebody who's also willing to risk for the sake of the emerging, uh, emergence of this new community, who's willing to forgive, who's willing to get his hands dirty. The next scene, if we're to fast forward a couple chapters where we see Barnabas show up, is you have this, uh, this provocative moment in the life of the church. Something new is happening, and it's shaking up everything. Namely, Peter has entered into the house of the Gentiles. He's shared table fellowship. And, and beyond that, there started to be even this shift where this, this new community that formerly was on the outside of the faith are now being invited inside the faith and they're leaning into it. This is shocking. The Bible doesn't make space for this. Our tradition doesn't make space for this. I mean, there's some ways you can make space for it, but there's a lot of hoops that they need to jump through if we're going to make space and they're not jumping through those hoops anymore. What do we do? So what does the church do? They send Barnabas. This by, by the way, I don't think we know how shocking this is. This isn't just like a church deciding, like, what color should we paint the outside of our building? Or should we put in new carpet or restore the hardwood floors? I mean, those are tough decisions. Inevitably, we're going to paint the building something, and a couple of you might hate it. And, and no, please don't, no green. No green, please. Sorry, Emily. But this is one of those shocking moments. This is so much bigger than paint colors and carpet. This is one of those profound moments where, where it feels like everything is changing. The people that most want to conserve the way it's been are up in arms. And yet it just appears that the Spirit of God is moving the church into something new, something that makes us uncomfortable, something that our manual doesn't make space for. What are we to do. Let's send Barnabas. And so Barnabas goes, and, and the text doesn't tell us a lot, but, but it, it says that he spends a year there. It says that he's a good man, so he enters into the life of the community. What we see is not somebody that comes in and just says, let's go my way or the highway, let's conserve everything, but we see somebody who is present to the community, who enters into the life of the new thing that God is doing in the world, 
and who leans into community in such a way that a year later it's more inclusive than it was before. And then Barnabas we hear, here has this great idea. Hey, 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 something good is happening here. Let's go get Saul. So not only is there this sense in which I'm going to lean in, I'm going to share table fellowship with people I formerly thought I couldn't, not only am I going to lean in, but I'm going to get a bit strategic here because something, something good is happening here and I know somebody who I think would fit into this situation and who could take this ball and be a part of it moving into the future. Let's go get Saul. We told that Saul and Paul now begin to have this missionary journey where they go about giving themselves to the new work, to the new reality of the kingdom of God that is increasingly becoming the reality of this place. There's this interesting, if you follow Luke and Acts, um, or if you follow Acts at at this point, there's this interesting um, kind of literary, I think, literary device that's happening that when, when, when you begin with this relationship, it begins with Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Then it kind of shifts, and sometimes it's Barnabas and Saul, depending on where you're at, but sometimes it's Saul and Barnabas. And then later, as it evolves, it flips, and now it's Paul and Barnabas. Because when you were writing in that day and age, who you put first matters. So I would think the fourth thing that is interesting when it comes to Barnabas in the book of Acts is we see somebody whose ego doesn't get in the way when God is raising up new folks who've got gifts. He's perfectly comfortable entering in to Saul in the beginning and maybe taking the lead in ministering and discipling and walking alongside, but he's also perfectly perfectly comfortable as the story evolves, taking a bit more of a back seat and letting the new thing come to life. I've got to quit because we don't have all day and everyone said... Thank you. Um, Probably the last one we'll talk about then is the relationship with this other character called John Mark. On one of the missionary journeys, I think it's the first one. Oh, milk latte. Uh, On one of the missionary journeys with John Mark, they they invite uh, this character, John Mark, who is, I believe, related to Barnabas, to come and join them. And... uh, like me on my uh, foray down to California in my younger years, that didn't last long. For whatever reason, John Mark uh, in this moment couldn't cut the mustard. We don't know all the details why. We do know that Paul does not think very highly of him. Paul uh, responds to this moment in, in many ways by, uh, by writing off John Mark, by creating in his, uh, in his head this sense like, this is serious business, and, and by really serious business, like there's real danger, life-threatening danger, and we need people who are committed to this thing. And so for Paul, it's just like we're not, we're not going there again. John Mark, you're out. But we hear later when they're getting ready to go, I believe on their second missionary journey, that Barnabas wants to bring John Mark, to which Paul says, absolutely not. There's no chance. There is no way in H-E double hockey stick. The text tells us that Barnabas and Paul have a good old-fashioned church fight, because apparently those happened in the early church as well. 
And we're told that within the text that the church fight is so good, so epic, so big. Uh, just think, by the way, what would have happened if they had Facebook. It was so epic, so good <laughs> that they decided to go separate ways. Paul taking Silas and Barnabas taking John Mark, because this picture of Barnabas is a picture of somebody who not only is willing to sell a field to invest, he's not only somebody who is willing to go to somebody who is greatly, potentially could put the church at risk, he's not only willing to go and live into a new community and see the new thing God is doing, he's not only willing to disciple somebody who might just take his spot someday, he's also willing to give somebody a second chance who others might write off or cancel out. That is the last moment or the last scene in Acts that we're told of Barnabas. But it's not the last words were given. I, I didn't write these down, you'll have to forgive me. But if you go and read some of uh, the epistles and, and some of Paul's letters, I believe one is in Philemon, one is in Timothy, and I think one is in Colossians. <laughs> room full of pastors. I can't see. I don't know why I'm looking at you all. We'll just assume that's good. Uh, fact check me later. I probably should. But Paul, uh, at least three times, I believe it is three, uh, in writing letters to the church, wants to circle around and underline this new reality that John Mark is back on the team. He's somebody who could be trusted. He's somebody that should be received into the community. How did that happen? It happened because there was somebody in the church who was deeply invested in the new reality of the kingdom and who was unwilling to cancel another out, unwilling to give up on another and said, hey, hey, you deserted us this time? Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's interesting that when I was, uh, in September I'll have been here eight years. It's crazy as my man bun is evolving and it's so good. Don't you love it? Can I get a heart for the man bun? I'm going to give myself a heart. Kristen, I know you're watching online today. Can you give your husband a heart for the man bun? Uh, I have gray hair now. Like there's some gray in the evolution of this man bun that wasn't here eight years ago. I think you all are killing me. But eight years ago when I got here, I had this um, naive idea about how one goes about building the church. Part of the nativity was that just if we could get more numbers, that was what it meant to build the church, and, and get more numbers usually coincided with the Sunday morning experience. And in many ways, in my naivety, naivety, yeah, that, um, I viewed growing the church in a very similar fashion to like a fantasy football draft, right? If you can get a good worship leader with your first round pick, Maybe in the second round pick, you can circle back around and you could get a good youth leader. In the third round pick, we need children. In the fourth round pick, let's get um, a, a good fun person. You know, somebody like Ivy French, somebody that can, uh, can make fun and have fun with everyone. Maybe in the last, last round, we, you know, it's the last pick. It's kind of like when you pick the kickers and the defense. They don't really matter, but you need somebody. We might as well pick a Sunday school teacher. Let's pick Andy. Oh, Andy Tusher, if you're watching this, I, I, I didn't deliver that as well as I'd like, but I actually thought of that one this morning. Um, I viewed building the church in, in similar ways to my, how you might think about building a team. If you just get the right players, 
You can build the superstructure, whatever that means. But as my gray hair has evolved in my emerging man bun, um, that view of what we're doing even online has all sorts of crumbled in good ways. Increasingly, I am convinced that God is wanting to form not a good religious institution, but a community. A community of people empowered by spirit in all the beauty of our diversity, who give ourselves in ways that we are all in to participating in this contrasting society called the kingdom of God. And so this morning, I think Barnabas paints a picture well of what it looks like for us to give ourselves to this new reality. Now, maybe for you, it doesn't mean you're going to sell a field. Maybe, I mean, if somebody's got a field and you want to sell it, we'll take it. But maybe all in doesn't mean you're selling a field. Maybe, maybe it doesn't mean you're going to take a risk on somebody who could totally backfire uh, maybe it doesn't mean you're going to move to a new city and you're going to give yourself to a new work that makes everyone else in the church uncomfortable. Maybe it doesn't mean you're going to go on a mission trip and take a risk with a young punk kid who might not do the right thing. But the reality is all in does look like something for all of us. It might look like a smile, a hug, a phone call. It might look like a grocery uh, run for somebody who is in need during this COVID time. It might look like marching in a Black Lives Matter protest. All in is who we are called to be. Because who we are called to be is a people known as body of Christ. So may we May we not just try to copy Barnabas, maybe not all just try to be little Barnabases, but may we lean in to the model of what it means to give ourselves away fully, being present to the new thing the Spirit is doing, willing to take risks, willing to forgive, willing to think creatively about how we might live out the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray as Pastor Regina comes to lead us in communion. Father, help us. We can't do this on our own. So often it is easy for us to just be half in. It's so easy for us to feel like it's simply going to a service when convenient. And yet the reality of the kingdom of God that we're called to is so much bigger than that, so much more inclusive, it's so much more demanding. And so would you, in this weird time that we're in, would you give us such a, an imagination? Help each of us to know the places um, with which we are called to be all in. Help us to love really, really well. Help us to, to show, as the text says, an abundance of grace. Help us to be generous with our possessions. Help us to find the people the rest of society wants to write off and go and bridge gaps to them.
Help us this day. In your name, amen.